0: Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law.
1: Good day, and welcome to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist, certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of legal master's degrees, one as a master of the laws of taxation, I know totally boring, and the other as a master's of the law of intellectual properties law, very interesting. Because of my training and interests, I practice bankruptcy, debt, wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and taxation law, and I also enjoy helping small businesses and new ventures get started. So... I'm pleased to be able to come to you again today from the beautiful KFAC studios in the San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial issues confronting families and small business owners today. But I must say, once again, to ask you to please note that this show does not provide legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show serves strictly as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and to provide you with an outline of the issues that may help you seek out qualified professional help. So today we're going to continue our discussion of Bankruptcy 101 Just to recap, in our first show, I gave you my definition of bankruptcy and why bankruptcy law is so critical to the proper functioning of a capitalistic, market-based economy, where you see the laws of bankruptcy act as the safety valve that give entrepreneurs And individuals and families, the freedom to take on the risks of starting businesses and starting family units with the knowledge that if they run into deep financial distress, that is the result of an honest miscalculation of a business risk or the downturn in the economy or the side shift in the economy or uh, any kind of shift in the marketplace that causes the business financial distress or – when an individual or a family takes on the risk of purchasing a home or automobiles or other consumer debt to underwrite the day-to-day living of a family, or in some cases when they underwrite a formal education for themselves or their children. And as long as these economic risks or obligations that result in financial distress were taken on with the honest intent to repay and not manipulated or calculated to perpetrate a fraud on their creditors, our government has a constitutionally-based legal process and procedure that may give the honest owner of these businesses or the honest members of these families a chance to start afresh without the burden of overwhelming debt that tends to destroy their quality of life and also makes them unable to continue to employ members of their community. So the bankruptcy process also gives the debtors' creditors some assurances that they'll be treated fairly in a court-supervised process and that they will have access to the debtors' non-exempt assets, even if their fair share sometimes means that the creditors will take nothing. In the last several weeks, I went over all of the key players in the bankruptcy process, and that includes the debtor or the debtors, and that's the individual, the person, the corporation, the partnership, the trust, the nonprofit organization, the homeowners association that runs into financial distress and either puts itself or themselves into bankruptcy to seek protection, and in some instances... Debtors can be forced into bankruptcy by their creditors. And so I didn't talk about that so much, so let me just give you a quick overview of what, what happens here. Sometimes um, a, a business, and it's strictly for businesses that can be forced into bankruptcy, sometimes a business is is not paying its debts as it comes due. It might be a cash flow problem or it might be an obstinate owner, or there might be some kind of fraud going on. And so, you know, creditors will will be trying to work out an arrangement with the individual debtor that owes them money, and sometimes the debtor will stall and and won't move. They won't pony up the money, won't agree to a repayment plan, and won't file for bankruptcy. In those instances, there's a provision in the bankruptcy code that allows one or more creditors to file a petition with the bankruptcy court where the debtor is located, and it's called an involuntary bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And so there'll be a bankruptcy petition filed by one or more creditors depending on the amount of debt that's owed and how many creditors are involved. And then the debtor gets an opportunity to fight back and say, I shouldn't be in bankruptcy, Or in some instances, it will turn around and agree. Now, this is a risky proposition for the creditors because if the debtor is able to prove to the court, the bankruptcy court, that they were put into bankruptcy uh, for reasons that were not uh, forthcoming or not clearly understood or not clearly uh, articulated under the bankruptcy code, the creditor or creditors could find themselves on the hook financially for harming the debtor by forcing him, her, it into uh, bankruptcy and end up having to pay not only the costs involved with the debtor's attorney, but also some damages. But you know, I, I just thought I'd, I, I'd share that with you because in some instances, uh, corporations might find themselves needing to push a recalcitrant um, debtor into bankruptcy. So those are the debtors and, the, you know, individuals, uh, corporations. Um, there's a special kind of bankruptcy for municipalities. Uh, there's a even more strange kind of bankruptcy that's really not a bankruptcy for territories and like uh, uh, entities that are owned and controlled by Congress, such as um, Puerto Rico or uh, the District of Columbia. Um, they're not technically municipal bankruptcies, but they kind of smell like them. And then I talked about um the debtors, the, the, the creditors are the individuals that um, are owed money and they have certain rights inside bankruptcy and they are players and they have a role to play and they are recognized by uh, the bankruptcy court. And then the, there's two sets of attorneys. There's attorney or attorneys that represent the debtors and there are attorneys or attorneys, or attorneys that represent the creditors. Uh, Those are the people that speak for the debtors or the creditors, and no matter what side uh, an attorney finds his or herself on, she has a duty to zealously represent her client to the best of her ability um, while maintaining her uh, duty of ethics to the profession that she's in and a duty of candor to the court and a duty to protect the confidentialities of her client. So it kind of puts puts attorneys kind of in, in, a, in a strange kind of uh, place where um, you find yourself needing to tell the court the truth and um, also you have a duty of civility to opposing counsel. Um, I've observed that sometimes I don't see everybody acting as they should, but for you young people out there, especially that are contemplating, uh, thinking about, becoming a lawyer, I'm just going to put that out there, that that's part of your duty to be uh, honest and candid with all the parties, protect your clients' confidentialities. Uh, But I find the law to be a very rewarding field. Uh, And I tend to stay out of trouble by just remembering that if I have good facts, a a, a lawsuit – No matter where you went, it's based on the facts that your client has and the law. And your job as as an attorney is to interpret the facts, blending them with the law that gives your client uh, the best case that you can put before the judge. The judge decides, and uh, the judge um, uses the same analytical tools that lawyers use, and I That's what I find most um, interesting and rewarding about being a lawyer is my job is to talk to judges in a way that they can understand and see where my client is coming from. And I really, really enjoy uh, doing that work. So that brings us to the, the next key player. I call it the bankruptcy court, and I call it the court out of respect. You know, there is a, a human being that's a judge, but the court is a place where the judge is in control, but it's the place where I work, and I respect the place that I work, and as such, I respect the judge, and I always refer to judges as the court when they're sitting up there in their black robes. Now, the court also has people that help him or her, and they're usually lawyers that help the court analyze the situation, make sure that what I say and what my opponent says is the actual law, and then the judge will make a decision. And then there's a whole group of fiduciaries whose job that is to marshal the debtor's assets and follow the law and present issues to the court if they think something hinky is going on. And, and hinky is a highly technical legal term for something don't smell right. And so, those are the key players. So, um, next, today, we're going to talk about some of the key events that take place when someone is thinking about filing and what happens after they file right away and the ongoing process of the bankruptcy. But we're going to take a few minutes uh, to let you hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll continue the process.
0: back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back. Uh, This is Selwyn's Law and we're continuing our discussion of bankruptcy. I call it Bankruptcy 101 and we're going to talk about some of the key events that someone or some entity that is contemplating filing for bankruptcy should consider. And if we have some time, uh, I'm just so pleased to let you know that I've been hearing from you out there in the listening audience and you've asked some questions. And so I'll either get to them uh, today or I'll get to them uh, next time. But let's just go over generally what are the, the major functions and issues that one needs to contemplate before he, she, or it files through bankruptcy? Now, I'm going to uh, talk about from a human standpoint, that is to say an individual or a family is considering filing for bankruptcy. They generally will will file three kinds of bankruptcies that deal with individuals. If they want to reorganize, that is to say someone uh, is facing a foreclosure, and they want to use the protection of the bankruptcy court to give them an opportunity to, say, catch up on their mortgage arrears and deal with maybe their taxes or deal with some of their um, unsecured debt, they want to reorganize. And so that would mean they would file a Chapter 11 or Chapter 13. Now, most small businesses... Uh, that is to say, sole proprietorships and individuals with regular income would file a chapter thirteen. But there are debt limits uh, for filing uh, chapter thirteen, and um, they go up every uh, three years or so, depending on inflation. And so it's you have you can have um, no more than about a million two million three in secured debt and no more than around $400,000 in unsecured debt. Otherwise, you'll be over the debt limits, and even if you're an individual, you'll have to file a Chapter 11. Now, Chapter 11s are much, much more expensive than Chapter 13s. So generally, if a small business person comes to me, I first want to see if I can get them into a Chapter 13. Um, It's not that I don't want to make more money, but I just know that... um, some really small sole proprietorships that are run by mom and pop, they might not have the tools and the skills that are needed to successfully execute a Chapter 11. Uh, so, uh, again, it, it all depends on the debt limits and the kinds of debt. Okay, so if you want to reorganize, you, that is to say you want to put in place a plan where after you take care of your reasonable living expenses, you are going to turn over your excess income uh, to a fiduciary known as a Chapter 13 trustee. Now, her job is to uh, examine you to make sure that you identified all of your assets, liabilities, income, and expenses, and that your plan is feasible and not filed in bad faith. And so sometimes your attorney and the Chapter 13 uh, trustee will be in a pretty adversarial role. And, but, but you should know that that's not unusual unless um, there's some kind of really bizarre um, um, adversarial relationship going on. Uh, so because the, the Chapter 13 trustee's job, in addition to collecting the, your excess income and distributing it to your uh, creditors, uh, according to a plan that you produce, is also to help um, maintain the integrity, integrity of the bankruptcy process because he or she indirectly reports to the Department of Justice via the U.S. trustee that I talked about uh, the last time. If you're in a Chapter uh, 13, you have three to five years max to pay off your debts that you've identified in your plan And sometimes that means that you're just making payments for your mortgage arrears after you take out of your your reasonable living expenses, and that might mean at the end of the three- to five-year period your unsecured creditors take nothing. So um, that's uh, Chapter 11 or 13 for an individual. And the other kind of bankruptcy that an individual might file is a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, and that's where your goal is to discharge as many of your debts as possible, and get a discharge at the other end. As such, you turn over uh, basically your newly created estate. That's what happens when you file a bankruptcy. It's kind of like it's like a probate estate, only you don't have enough sense to know that you're dead. And that, that is a joke. Uh, please accept it as that. But it just as in a probate court, an estate is created out of your assets, There's an estate that's created out of your um, debts and income in a bankruptcy case. The thing about a Chapter 7 is you're not in control like you are in control of a 13 or 11. A um, bankruptcy court appointed, U.S. trustee uh, selected, Chapter 7 trustee will come in and take over the management of your on secure assets. Now, the problem with that is sometimes people file a Chapter 7 when they really should have filed a reorganization bankruptcy. Say you have a couple hundred thousand dollars of equity in a house when you file a Chapter 7. The Chapter 7 trustee will take control of your house and sell that house for the equity to pay your creditors and also to pay her staff. So that's why I have said that filing a bankruptcy on your own is not a good idea because you need someone to walk you through these things. So what are some other pre-filing issues that you need to consider? Well, you might be able to discharge old taxes in bankruptcy. Some people think, well, you, you can't discharge taxes. Well, you can't discharge newer taxes, but if they're older and are seasoned, you might be able to discharge some or all of the taxes that you owe that are were due and payable before three years before you filed the current case, and that come into play during that 10-year window that the Internal Revenue Service and the Franchise Tax Board has to collect. So this is why you need to talk to a bankruptcy attorney if you're contemplating, because there's requirements that you have to meet in order to discharge the debt. You have to have filed your tax returns timely, even if you didn't Uh, pay your taxes that were due. You also need to know about something called an offset. That's where you might owe uh, your bank um, for borrowings, and they might owe you the amount of money that you have on account. And there's something called an offset. And it might just be that if you file the institution might take advantage of the offset. So you need to know about that and disclose that information to your, um, to your attorney. Also, some banks will freeze your account upon filing a Chapter 7. And because the bank might not know what to do, the, the bank might think that, you know, the Chapter 7 trustee is going to place a claim on your funds. And so they might freeze your account and tell you that you need to go get uh, some kind of instruction from the Chapter 7 trustee in the bankruptcy court. Also, credit unions have what's known as a dragnet clause. That is to say, if you uh, borrowed money from a credit union to purchase a car and you also have other accounts in there, your your account application might have given the credit union the right to do certain things, that is to say, drag a net over all of your uh, accounts and keep them out as part of that offset process. So again, you need a lawyer to help walk you through that. And sometimes institutions do things that they're not supposed to do, and your counsel can help you deal with that, even if through court order. You also need to know there's special provisions for homeowners association dues. If you own a condo that you want to keep and you ha- are not current with your HOA dues or an HOA assessment, there might be um, some um, unfavorable uh, actions that the homeowners associations can take. You also should know that your utilities companies might be able to take some action against you. So you need to identify all these things with your counsel. Um, and also there's something called a means test. And that says whether or not you're even authorized or can file a Chapter 7 based on your income and expenses. And a different kind of means test is used in a Chapter 13 to see how long you can can or must stay in your bankruptcy. Uh, by that, I mean you might only want to stay in three years, but the means test might indicate that you need to stay in for the full five years. And the thing about it is if you get a windfall, some kinds of windfall during that five-year period, you might end up having to turn that over to the Chapter 13 trustee for her to pay your creditors. You also need to do what's known as exemption planning before you file because some of your assets, you can exempt them maybe up to the full amount of equity that you have. And there's a certain amount for an automobile, a certain amount for the equity in the house, depending on your age and uh, physical condition. You also need to do the tax planning that I talked about earlier because you might be able to discharge some of your taxes, and you also need to time your bankruptcy uh, such that it can get you the best results. So there's also key terms uh, that you need to know and what they mean. The order of relief happens as soon as you file. That implements an automatic stay that prevents any of your creditors from Con- commencing or com- continuing any legal action against you, such as foreclosing on your property. It gives you the ability to just have a, a moment to you know, get your head straight and, and figure out what it is that you want to do to move forward and try to reclaim your debt, uh, you reclaim your life after you deal with your debt by dealing with your debt in a proper fashion. So, we're going to stop right here and pick up on the key terms and talk about claims the next time we're together, and then we'll make time next time to answer some questions. So, till next time, I'm Selwyn Whitehead, and it's my pleasure to talk with you. You take care. Till next time.